You're listening to Season 2 of the Live 360 Podcast with Tony Sutherland, and this is Episode 68. Let's just jump right on in. Today, I want to talk about the conspiracy of discouragement, the conspiracy of discouragement. A lot of people are discouraged. I don't know about you, but I haven't talked to one person who hasn't told me that they aren't discouraged. I've been discouraged this past half of a year. Man, I'm sick of COVID. Is anybody else sick of COVID? I'm tired of political unrest. I'm tired of what's going on in Afghanistan. Our world is going through a season of groaning. The earth is groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, the Bible says. And I believe that the enemy is behind this discouragement. It's not coming from nowhere. There's a source. It's the enemy. And I want to talk about this today. You know, a lot of times we just accept discouragement as a part of life, but many times the enemy is behind it. And we need to see and know his schemes. We don't need to study the devil, okay? But we need to understand that there is a dark force behind the spirit of discouragement. There's a conspiracy going on. And I want to share with you five stages or phases, if you will, today of how the enemy discourages us. Um, There is hope for us, guys. There is hope. Jesus is our hope. We are not without hope. And I just had to jump on here today and share with you some ways in which the enemy conspires to discourage us. Ephesians chapter 6 says, that the devil has schemes and plans to discourage you. But praise God, Jeremiah 29 and 11 says God has plans. And God's plans always override the enemy's schemes. Come on, everybody. God has a plan, and his plan always overrides the enemy's schemes. And I'm thankful that God doesn't just do random things. He's meticulously designed this plan for you. And along the way, there's going to be some discouragement, but don't let it distract you. So let's jump in today to talk about this conspiracy of discouragement. All right, so let's start with our key passage right out of 2 Chronicles chapter 32, 9 through 17. So let's start right in verse 9. It says, after this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish, with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, verse 10, thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, on what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem? Before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. Verse 13. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands Were the God of those nations, of those lands, at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? 
Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver this people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Verse 15, now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? Verse 16, and his servant said still more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. Verse 17, and he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him saying, like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Now, I read that with a little bit of uh, dramatic fashion to kind of help you stay focused and feel the attitude and sense what is happening here. Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, the enemies of Judah and Jerusalem, sends his servant out to Hezekiah and kind of threatens them and harasses them and says, how are you believing in your king saying he will deliver you from my hand? That's not going to happen. What about all the other nations that I attacked? Did you see success out of that? And their gods, did they not protect them? No, and neither will your God protect you. I'm going to destroy you. Don't believe Hezekiah. Don't believe God. It's going down. Now, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to uh, the episode titled Wilderness Survival Guide 2.0. I talk about how that when the enemy wants to discourage you, he'll isolate you and speak to you alone. You know, when you're in a wilderness or a dry place in your life, that's when the enemy's voice is most amplified. And he causes us to question who and where God is, who God is and where are you, God? And so the enemy's tactic here in these verses 9 through 17 are classic on how the enemy conspires to discourage us. It's typical. It's the same way every time. When you read through the Bible, how the enemy discourages God's people is the same way over and over, all the way back from Adam, all the way to the end of the New Testament. Anytime the enemy came, he did it with Jesus. He conspired to discourage. And discourage means to discourage, to weaken your courage and your faith. And when you feel your faith getting weak, that is a sign that you are walking through a season of discouragement. So now I want to break these verses down and share with you five ways that the enemy conspires to discourage us. All right. The first way that the enemy will conspire to discourage us is he will attempt to question God's divine nature. He will cause us to question God's divine. I want to focus on that word divine nature. In other words, Satan will attempt to diminish or reduce God down to the natural. Notice in verse 10, he says, on what are you trusting? He doesn't say on who are you trusting? He'll say on what? Okay. So what the enemy does is he causes us to quit looking to God as the almighty. 
supernatural, above our time and space, not limited to our circumstances. Let me tell you something, guys. Whatever you're going through right now, God is not limited to your natural circumstances. You are, but not God. But what Satan will try to do is to reduce God in your eyes, to make him look like he's not who he says he is. Notice that he's attacking God, not you. He's attacking God. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. So when you begin to not see God as able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, I slowed down on purpose. Our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above God brings all of his deity and his power and his authority and puts it inside of you. Don't question who God is. God is the almighty God. He's able and willing. Don't ever let the enemy reduce who God is in your life and not just in your life, but over all the world. God is not sitting quietly by watching all this happen. He has a plan and it's not a plan of man. It's the perfect plan of God. But Satan will try to discourage you. He'll try to get you focused on your natural circumstances and natural solutions and going to people and man-made formulas and ideas and schemes. See, the enemy wants to pull you out of your vision of who God is and get you down low where you're fighting on his turf. You know what I tell people all the time? We need to come above sea level. Come on, guys. It's not what you see. It's what God says. Come on, let me say that again. It's not what you see. It's what God says. Don't let the enemy make you question God's divine nature on what are you trusting. You need to turn that around with your own words. I'm trusting in God. It's not what I'm trusting in. It's who I'm trusting in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. I've committed my family. I've committed my career. I've committed my business. I've committed my kids, my ministry, my possessions, my home, everything about me God cares about. And I've committed it to him. It's under his divine watch. And he neither sleeps. Come on, somebody. He neither sleeps or slumbers. Satan, get by behind me. I will not let you question who God is in my life. That's the first way the enemy will come and try to conspire to discourage you, but don't let him do it. Keep your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. What God initiated, he will orchestrate it. What God started, he will finish it. All right, the second way that Satan conspires to discourage us is he will accuse God of misleading you. Satan will accuse God of misleading you. Verse 11, Snacherib says to uh, Hezekiah, is God not misleading you? Remember when Satan said that to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Satan is crafty. He's cunning. And he says to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? See, Satan does that. 
He accuses God of misleading you. Hey, man, you're going the wrong way. Think about Moses as he followed the pillar and it led him right to a dead end. I'm pretty sure Moses was going, God, why did you lead me here? I know the desert better than any of these people. I probably know the desert better than you right now. I'm sure Moses was like, I would never have gone this way. I wanted to turn way back there. But, you know, sometimes God will lead you right into a dead end because that's when miracles begin. When you reach a dead end, that's when miracles begin. Impossible starts at the end of your natural ability to do something. God wants to get the glory. It's not that he's egocentric. He just wants to take care of it. Put it in God's hands. God will lead you to a place where your hands are no longer capable of doing it. I don't have notes here. I'm just saying what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And sometimes we try to fix everything and do everything. God's not going to lead you somewhere that you've got to fix it. God's going to lead you to a place where you've run out of options. Don't be discouraged when you run out of options. Man, I got to tell you, this is speaking to me right now. Yay, I say unto me. This stuff is blessing me right now. I'm telling you, when you get discouraged, that could be a good sign because you don't have any more options. You've run out of technical abilities and physical strength and mental know-how and emotional strength. And man, that's the moment you probably just need to lay back on your bed, throw your hands out and say, God, I give up. I don't know what to do because Satan's going to accuse God of misleading you and, and make you mad at God. God, why did you bring me here? And why did you lead me here? That's a scheme of the enemy is to cause you to be discouraged because you believe that God is misleading you. Man, don't let yourself get there. Honestly, when you look back at the victories of your life, can you really give yourself credit? No, you can't. I can't. All my victories are of God. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It's not my abilities. It's not my know-how. It's not my experience or my age or my talent or my gift. It's the breakthrough power of God. He gets the credit and God just wants to take care of it. I want to encourage you right now, right where you are, throw up your hands, say, God, this dead end is a place where my miracle can begin. God is not misleading you. He's led you right where you need to be. Don't let Satan make you feel that God is misleading you because he never leads you to the wrong spot. All right, the third way that Satan conspires to discourage us as he will attribute our failures to God's providence. Satan will attribute our failures to God's providence. Verses 13 through 14, basically what Sennacherib is telling Hezekiah, he says, look what happens to those who trust God. In other words, if we fail or if we're in a rough spot or if we see others in difficult circumstances, will attribute that to God. Like, God, look where you put me. You're, you're really a God I can trust. If you were a God I can trust, then why am I here right now? Satan attributes our failures or the negative circumstances or the rough spots that we see in our own lives and other people's lives to God's providence. In other words, God, if you're really God, then why did you bring me here? Why am I here? Hey guys, I want to take just a moment right here in the middle to remind you to subscribe to this podcast leave us a generous review actually write out a review don't just give us stars but write your review then give us five stars and tell us what you think and then share this podcast with one or two other people in your circle of relationships 
who need to hear what you're hearing today. Listen, guys, you're subscribing to this podcast and leaving us reviews, writing them out actually increases the potential for people to hear our podcast. It kind of breaks through that algorithm demon out there that that prevents Christian material from being heard and consumed by the public. And man, we're talking about overcoming discouragement today. Who doesn't need to hear about that? We all know that Satan conspires to discourage us, but let's find out how he does it. And I hope this is helping you today. So let's jump back into the conspiracy of discouragement. And I I want to encourage you right now. You know, sometimes when we look at people and we see where they are, we can say, why would God do that to them? Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow people to get COVID? Why would God allow people to lose their jobs? Why would God allow worldwide calamity right now? Why would God do all of this? And I've got some thoughts to that, but for sake of time, I just want to say it's easy for us to look at where people are in their journey and assume God hasn't moved on their behalf. I mean, God has probably held more back than we can see, even in our own life. You know, there's things that have not happened to us that we will never know about. Because, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What that means is the shepherd has actually gone ahead of us and removed the snares and traps so that when we come into the next season of our life, there's things that aren't happening because God himself has removed them before we even saw them. We're not going to have a sorrow-free, pain-free, tragedy-free life. There's going to be some bad things that happen to us in life. That's just life. It's not God and it's not the devil. It's just life. And it's easy for us to judge things based on our limited perspective. Guys, we are not the center of the picture. God is the center of the picture and he sees things from a totally different view. All things work together for the good, work together for our good. And we can't just assume that God hasn't moved on our behalf. My friends, you need to go back and you need to make a list of some things that God did in your life because you've forgotten. We're just not remembering what God has done. And a lot of times we are on the ground seeing a very limited picture. We don't get to see the end of people's story sometimes. We're not even aware of what the end of our own story is. We're just in the middle of the process and we're judging everything by what we see. Folks, we walk by faith and not by sight. Let me say that again, guys. We're walking by faith and not by sight. It's a matter of trust. God, I'm trusting you. It doesn't look good, but I'm not losing my faith in you. Don't judge your circumstances by the process you're in right now. We see people in the middle of their journey. We're standing in the middle of our own journey, and we just assume that God has not come through or he isn't going to come through. So we just automatically, you know, assume that those who trust in God are just wasting their time. You know, Satan will say things like, look at them. (laughs) God didn't come through for them, and he's probably not going to come through for you either. That's a scheme of the enemy. That's how he conspires to discourage us. If you look back through verses 13 and 14 of 2 Chronicles chapter 32, the king of Assyria says, Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of those nations, of those lands, able to deliver them out of my hand? 
Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Satan attributes our failures or our negative circumstances or our tough times to God's providence. But God led you right where you're supposed to be. God's going to come through for you. Don't let Satan attribute bad times to God's providence because that is a major way that he conspires to discourage us. All right, the fourth way that Satan conspires to discourage us is that he adamantly suggests that you shouldn't believe God. Satan adamantly suggests that you shouldn't believe God. Verse 15 Sennacherib says to Hezekiah and the servants, do not believe him right in Hezekiah's face. Do not believe him. Don't be surprised right now if you're wrestling with unbelief. We all go through it. You know, the enemy isn't hesitant at all, man. He's bold. Satan is audacious and adamant audacious and adamant what Satan's doing is he's adamantly standing to make you believe that God is a liar. Satan is bold. He's audacious. I looked up some synonyms for audacious, bold, daring, intrepid. He's a daredevil. That word is actually a synonym of audacious, a daredevil, uh, reckless, madcap, meddlesome. He's temerious. What these words mean, what this word means is Satan is audacious enough. He has the audacity to stand in front of you and God and point at God and say, do not believe him. You know what, guys? The problem is, is we don't come back with the same audacity, the boldness, the fearlessness, bravery, unafraid, unflinching. You know what? That's how you need to stand up to the enemy. God has given you a measure of faith. It's not natural. It's supernatural faith. Don't let him try to weaken your faith. Again, that's what Satan's trying to do here to you and to me is to weaken our faith and our confidence in God. The Bible says, cast not away your confidence for it has great reward. You know what I've noticed though over the years that somehow it's, it's amazing to me when I look back and probably when you look back too, have you noticed that you still believe in God, <laughs> that your faith really hasn't been shaken because it's an unflinching, undying faith. And so when we realize that the faith we have isn't even from ourselves, it's not our natural faith. It's the faith of the Son of God. The Bible calls it the faith of the Son of God that is in you. It's an incorruptible faith. You need to lean on that incorruptible faith that God has given you. I need to lean on it because it's a faith that's not going anywhere. Use it to your advantage. When the old slew foot, the devil, that's what my grandma used to call him, slew foot, stands between you and God and says, don't believe in him. You need to come back in praise and worship and say, I don't know what you're saying, but I've got a God who is more than able. Get out of my face. Be bold. Be fearless. Have some spirited faith that stands up fearless in the face of the enemy. Don't let your faith be unused. Take it up. Use it against the enemy. My God is able. 
My God will come through. I'm never going to stop believing in what God is saying here. I'm never going to stop believing. If God brought me here, he'll bring me out. If God led me to it, he'll lead me through it. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, don't let Satan's adamacy suggest that you shouldn't believe in God. Stand on his word and believe what he says. God is not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. Don't trust in your natural faith. Our natural faith is weak. Dig deep. Man, you're standing on the rock, people. You're not standing on shifting sands. You're standing on victorious grounds. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Stand up and use that supernatural faith and don't let the enemy suggest that you shouldn't believe God. All right, the fifth way that Satan conspires to discourage us is that he will assert that God will not deliver you. Satan is assertive. Satan asserts that God will not deliver you. Man, he puts himself out there. Isn't it funny that we see ourselves kind of backing up sometimes when the enemy asserts himself on us? He's aggressive, guys. Verse 17, Sennacherib says to Hezekiah, he will not deliver you. He tells the people, God's not going to deliver you. You know, Satan's scheme is to make us doubt God's abiding presence, plan, and purpose in our lives. Man, he's trying to winnow that down. But verses 16 through 17 say that the evil king, Sennacherib, he's trying to cast contempt on the Lord. The enemy's job is to discredit God, not you. You know you're weak. You know you can't do it. Satan will tell you that, but what he's really trying to do is take credit away from God to discredit him. Satan's primary attack isn't on you. It's on God's faithfulness and goodness. Satan hates God. Satan is angry at God and he's going to try to ruin his reputation and lie about him. Did God say God doesn't want you to be blessed and favored? It's the same tactic over and over and over again. Satan's attack is on God's faithfulness and goodness. And when you start to believe in what Satan says about God, That's when you're headed toward discouragement. Man, if God can't do it, who can do it? If God's not for me, everyone's against me. But the scripture says, if God is for you, no one, no thing, no situation, no person, nothing can be against you if God is for you. So what Satan's job is, is to discredit God and get you to disbelieve God and assert that he won't deliver you. He's not going to do it. God's not coming through. It's the midnight hour and you just know it's not going to happen. And that's when you need to hold on to the promise that God gave you and don't let Satan discredit what God has promised you. You know, God told me this last year. He said, what I have spoken to you in this silence is going to stay with you in the storm. You've got to hold on to what God told you. First Thessalonians 5 and 24 says, faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. God called you and God will perform it. It's not he calls you and you do it. No, it's he calls you and he does it. Don't let Satan assert that God will not deliver you because what he called you to, he will bring it to pass. All right, so after we've carefully examined the five different ways that the enemy conspires to discourage us, let's end on a positive note. Let's find out the end of the story. Let's scoot down from verse 17 where we left off and shoot right to verse 20. 
because this is how it turns out. Verse 20, then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet prayed because of all that was happening and cried out to heaven. Verse 21, and the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. Isn't that just like God? God shows up and cuts off the enemy completely. No options, no schemes, no tactics, nothing that the enemy does is even effective at all. So the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he returned with shame of face to his own land. The Bible tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. All those who rise in judgment against us, God will come against them and drive them away. And look what happens to when Sennacherib comes back into his palace. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. Verse 22, watch this. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided for them on every side. God doesn't just cut off our enemies, but he blesses us and double blesses us on every side. Your ministry, your family, your finances, your relationships, your livelihood, your career, your business. God is going to bless everything you have set your hand to, folks. Come on. And watch this, verse 23. And many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. Come on, guys. You should be praising God right now. God is faithful. He'll come through. He'll cut off the enemy and come through for you. It ends on a happy note. So remember, when Satan conspires to discourage you, God is conspiring to bless you. God is up to something great. You've heard this said a thousand times. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. Don't disbelieve that God will deliver you. Keep your focus on God's divine nature. He's God Almighty. God is not misleading you. He's leading you right where you need to be. Your failures aren't God's fault. It's part of life. Don't attribute your failures to God's providence. Don't let Satan suggest that you shouldn't believe in God. Keep your faith high. And don't let Satan assert that God will not deliver you. Come back in his face with audacity and boldness. How dare you? Be like David. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? Don't let Satan discourage you. Come back with courage. And let God fill you with the confidence. Don't cast it off because God's going to see you through and he's not going to just get you through. He's going to bless you so much after it's all over and every promise he's giving you will come to pass. Man, that is all the time we have left for today. Thanks for joining me on Live 360 with Tony Sutherland. I hope this episode has greatly encouraged you. And if it has blessed you in some way, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast Write us out a review right there on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and then share this podcast with at least one or two other people in your circle of relationships who need to hear what you've heard today. Hey, the vision of Live 360 is to help people discover how to have peace and joy to the fullest 
in every single area of their life. And so I'll be back again real soon with another encouraging teaching, something that will give you a grace lift and inspire you and encourage you. And until then, we'll see you. 